Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So we start an interview today talking about Cheetos, and then the rest of the episode is started by Ryan petting Evan. <laughs> I think the words were, he was going to start rubbing that in the middle of the episode, watch. No, just stop, <laughs> stop. I don't even know if I picked up. Evan's wearing his noise coat. <laughs> Evan, in 150 degree humidity, 150% humidity, and what is it, like 28 degrees Celsius? What's, what's that in... It's hell. What's Ryan. that in freedom units? <laughs> degrees 82 freedom. degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. I didn't know what the temperature was outside, and I wasn't about to be wrong and take my jacket off. <laughs> it's July 2nd. <laughs> Why is your jacket even still accessible to you? I, I don't know. Evan, you're not a small guy. You can't be cold. You can't have anticipated being cold today. <laughs> the thing is, is I don't get, I'm not warm. I'm just kind of in this weird, like, middle area, so it's perfect. In July? Also, this thing is like the thinnest jacket of all time so it's <laughs> it's more for fashion than function i've uh i was away from work for like uh five days you know i just moved um went up to the cottage for a few days we had canada day long weekend for those of you who don't know we're all uh from north of the border and so we're all away and uh, i've never felt more rust than i do today so bear with us welcome to the winged wheel podcast i'm ryan hannah i'm brad crisco and I am Evan Lobsinger. We're gonna move on. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to add. Nothing. Uh, we have uh, a lot to talk about today. Funny enough, um, we just finished recording our interview with Max, which we will get to in a second. Um, bless Max's soul. I'm gonna have to do a lot of editing for all of us in there. <laughs> it's funny. We get like twenty to thirty minute segments out of Max for the podcast now, and like the average phone call length with him is now bordering on an hour and a half. Oh yeah. It like our best conversations happen naturally, and then as we're talking, I'm like, all right, what do we have to filter out? What do we have to not put on here? <laughs> and then I realize it's also awkward because we spend so much time talking about hockey that I will talk about something, but because the discussion has already taken place before the episode started, neither of you will respond, or the same thing will happen to you, and we'll and then it'll just be a dead silence. I'm like, right, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, that's not yes. gonna be a natural conversation anymore. Yes, Ryan, we've covered it. Moving yeah. on. Yeah, long silence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Shaking off the rust. Uh, development camp hap- Development camp happened. Free agency happened. Uh, development camp we will cover in our interview with Max, and then we will also dive into a little bit of what happened with the Red Wings. Uh, and when we come back from that, we will break that all down, do a deep dive on the Red Wings signings, what it means, the yeses, the noes, the likes, the dislikes, how that affects the future, and then cover the rest of the league. So first... Max Boltman of The Athletic, good friend and saint for putting up with us. Enjoy. So for context, uh, we usually spend a considerable amount of time chatting before the episode uh, or before we record interviews, especially with Max, um, because we don't spend all our time just constantly talking hockey through Twitter and and text and every other way. Um, And we started off talking about development camp and and free agency, but we ended up on... um, KFC's uh, or the Cheeto Cheetah dressed up as Colonel Sanders in a commercial that must be from the 90s that Max has just held on to until now. And he has requested that we work it into this episode. And that's outside of ad money. Just go watch it. (laughs) 
uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, an outtake from that video where the Red Wings asked all their players about '90s things. That fits in with the theme of today. This has been the cheesiest, and I don't. I'm not sorry for that. The cheesiest entry we've had from Max Bultman on an episode. Max, <laughs> thank you for uh, enlightening us. Yeah, no, always glad to share the American gospel with a couple of uh, boys north of the border. (laughs) That was good. You know, we just had Canada Day long weekend. I drove up further north to a cottage. I think Brad did the same. And um, it was good that you helped us shake off the rust by throwing uh, Cheetos crusted um, sandwich with an unidentified sauce at the bottom. So I can't see the picture clearly. Is it Cheetos crusted chicken or do they just throw Cheetos on the sandwich as a time? I think it's just Cheetos on the sandwich, but would it stun you if it was both? <laughs> it has to be both. Like I would want it to be both, right? Also, would you want it to be both? Oh, absolutely. I want it to be normal, che- maybe normal Cheetos if you must put them on there, but a flaming hot Cheeto crumble crust. That's the good stuff, right? So I'm like a I'm like a closet like I kind of like KFC like I love like the chicken littles and, and all that sort of thing, but I'm not touching this with a ten foot pole. Oh, this will be the first time I buy next time I'm over the border. <laughs> this will be the first thing I buy. I'm gonna actually Max, I'm gonna buy two and drive one to your house. Do you guys not have KFC in Canada? No, we do. We do, but they oh, don't always okay. have the same promotions. Yeah. Oh right, healthcare yeah. and stuff. <laughs> they might actually outlaw this. No, to be fair, we should get it first because we're the ones who can afford to cover the heart attacks that we're going to get from this stuff. We should be the guinea pigs. Yeah, these look objectively terrible for you, but that won't stop me. I think there's Cheetos in the crust on the chicken. There's only one way to find out. There is only one way to find out. Oh, God. What's dripping? That's not... <laughs> That's it's not the Mountain the- Dew. <laughs> No, it's orange. There's an orange liquid coming out of the picture we're looking at. That could be hot sauce. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. There's there's your flaming Cheeto crust, Ryan. All right. Uh, because there was definitely a lack of news in the hockey world, or again, this is now a Cheetos-themed uh, snack item podcast featuring Max Boltman. Just kidding. Um Despite our better uh, our better intentions, we are going to um, chat with Max about all the things that happen in the hockey world. Uh, KFC, who do I send the invoice to for the promos here? Oh, yeah. Our rates have gone up quite a bit. Chester himself. (laughs) He doesn't look like a guy who pays when you ask him to, you know? (laughs) Um, Development camp, free agency, and then uh, a little bit of a look into the future is what we'll be chatting with uh, Max with today. First off, I want to say thank you to Max um, and Brad as well. Um, I was in the middle of a move during uh, most of development camp, so everything that I saw was either way too late or during with very, very limited Wi-Fi. So thank you both for your coverage. Did Uh, I break the Aho offer sheet to you? You did. Yes. I had not caught up to that much news. You first broke Filpula, and then while I was still trying to find the details of that, (laughs) uh, you told me about the Aho. Because I think I said something like, oh, man, boring, um, free agency, no offer sheets. And you're like, oh, no, there was one. So that was – you did break that to me. Um, but we'll get there. Development camp uh, came and went, and there were some uh, some pretty exciting stories. Um, obviously, the uh, the name of the game was Moritz Cider. So, uh, chat with us a little bit about how Moritz Cider looked at development camp. Yeah, I mean, you always want to be careful about you know how much you're going to read into a week of that is predominantly just kind of skating drills and testing, and and at some points. 
them forcing the prospects to do kind of drills that are by design really hard for them to do. So um, with that said, you know, I think Cider impressed pretty much everybody this week. He looked really smooth. He certainly in the scrimmages tried a lot more um, offensively in terms of jumping up into the play than, than I think certainly I was expecting. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think you know, he continues to, to kind of show a little bit more of what what uh, the Red Wings saw in him, I think, you know, as sort of a somewhat of a mystery to people who, who hadn't watched him much, and I definitely include myself in that. Um, yeah, I think you're starting to get a little clearer picture of what it was Detroit saw in him. Um, I did catch up on a couple of those uh, videos that you kind of clipped in your article, and then you you were kind enough to gift them as well, which was fantastic. Um, Took him 90 minutes to load on the lake, but it was worth it. Uh, one thing I noted about Cider was that, again, qualifying this with limited sample size, uh, a lot of those dynamic plays that he did seem to make from time to time were kind of operated within areas of concern. So puck control, um, offensive instinct, shooting ability, that kind of thing. So he did show flashes of that, which kind of pointed to maybe this guy's ceiling is maybe higher than we would think, and this is just because the German leagues are under-scouted. I know, Brad, you mentioned a little bit about um, all things go well. Satter could be, you know, a home run. Yeah, like if you want stylistic comparisons, we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, if everything goes absolutely right for Moritz Sider, he does remind me a lot of Oliver ekman Larson. now that you can see there might be some offense to his game, because again, as Max was saying, that's what caught me off guard at the development camp, was just how dynamic he was um, at moments, which is not what he was billed as um, during the draft. So not that he is going to be OEL, but it's, it's reassuring, if nothing else, to know that there might be something more there than we were expecting. Yeah, well, I think like the the thing that stood out, you know, it, it's less like I still don't think the guy has like unbelievable puck skills or anything like that. But it, but it's almost like the idea that he has to to try some of these things. I mean, he had the one play where he steps up at center ice to get a loose puck. You know, he, he kind of turns to use his body to protect into a spin, comes out, makes a, a good first entry pass into the zone, calls for it back, and then throws a cross slot pass that almost set up a, a I guess it would have set up an assist. But it, but it was a really nice play by him, start to finish. Like those are the kind of things that when you see him, he's you know, that's the hockey sense that, that the Red Wings talked about when they drafted this guy, and that was on a hundred percent display on that shift. And I think. You know, sometimes when you hear like a guy has a good first pass, it, it is really easy to label them as you know maybe less exciting. But but that was certainly a shift where um, you can see how that could translate to being a, a, a if, if the skills come with it and if he's able to do it consistently, a, a pretty impressive player. Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily even the puck skills that impressed me the most, and you kind of touched right. on it there. It was. He was really good at making the quick, simple move with his hands, but then using his skating and his body to keep the defenders off him and make the play he was trying to make. So it's not like he had to go toe-drag through someone's legs to make it happen. It was just a quick fake, cut wide, hold the guy off, make another sharp cut, and he's got his lane. Uh, yeah, not everyone's going to be Eric Carlson. You know, Not everyone's going to be absolutely flashier and offensive dynamo, but watching more at cider at his age use his frame and his body to protect the puck to move into his own entry or move the puck along the boards was um 
just a nice breath of fresh air. It's not something you saw defensemen do a lot for the for Detroit. Um, we're obviously going to cover Cider from head to toe for the rest of time. Um, other standout stories um, from development camp. What really jumped out at you? Well, for me, it was Berggren, and I did have a commenter who, who uh, in the story I did, who seemed to kind of disagree with that. And so maybe, maybe I'm. Maybe I zeroed in on him or, or something, but uh, I, I, to me, he, he really impressed me. I mean, he was coming off an injury, didn't even skate the first day, looked pretty tentative and hesitant when he did get on the ice. But by the time fr- the Friday and Saturday three-on-three tournament and scrimmage rolled around, I, I thought he was in control a lot. I, you know, he, he certainly wasn't making you know full end-to-end rushes that ended in goals or anything like that. But he, he possessed the puck. He wheeled around the offensive zone. He consistently found ways to get the puck to the front of the net um, into high danger areas uh, to me he he stood out as much as anybody i think uh tar Hirose, you know looked looked like a guy look how a guy that you know turned 23 the day after development camp ended should look he looked completely in, in command he made some really nice um like you know just kind of dangles and moves uh had a really nice shootout goal he looks like you would want him to look um, if you're the Red Wings, coming off of a year where he's already played in the NHL among pro, you know in a turn in a um, setting among other prospects, Joe Valeno's skating still really really impressive. I don't think he necessarily um, dominated the whole you know scrimmage season, but he did have you know a couple really nice a couple really nice goals. He had a, obviously a, I think it was a Sports Center highlight uh, if I'm not mistaken shootout goal. So he still you know looks like. Um, Looks like a guy who's going to, if if not make the team this year, is certainly going to be a factor sooner than later. And uh, let's see, was there anybody else that really jumped out? I'm trying to r- mentally run through my my list in my head. I mean, like you know, I, I made the joke on Twitter, like Malty Setkov still still massive. <laughs> I actually think he he looks he looks pretty smooth out there too. Like I think they'd like him to get even a little thicker and and kind of play a little better defense. I mean, it it kind of sounds like a similar ask of what they've made of of Dennis Cholosky in terms of the defensive zone and making sure that that you really own your defensive zone in order to um in order to kind of get that that next bump um so it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they would like to see from him in the shl this year um anybody else well i mean on a sad note robert master simone broke his ankle right yeah and jack adams you know late breaking toward toward the acl those are both really tough injuries especially for adams who who is a guy who i think had a really good camp. I mean, he moved, he moved great for a guy that size and then had a really nice goal where he, I think he outskated Valeno or Valeno to, um, to get to that puck and then snipe it. So he had a, he had a good development camp and it ended, it ended in a really tough way for him. Hmm. Um, the Soderblom versus uh, Greva fight didn't happen, but almost materialized. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Greva certainly didn't, uh, didn't waste too much time letting everybody know that he's the he's the T-Rex, right? <laughs> you love that nickname. I think it's a great nickname. I actually love uh yeah, no, I, I I was trying to think where did I where did I first hear it? I think I was at the combine, but yeah, someone asked him about it and he was like, "Yeah, it's I like it." <laughs> like <laughs> um any other standouts or no, notable uh, points from this year's draft class? So um, Ethan Phillips, Albert Johansson. Yeah, I liked Phillips quite a bit. I think um, you know, he's really small. Like, he's it, not a guy that you would put 
maybe even money to make it just because he's, he does need to develop a lot physically before you'd feel really confident in that. But the motor was great. The skating was really good. He let a couple of pretty nice shots go. He actually, to start the scrimmage, stripped the puck from Moritz Sider at, at center ice, like, a, you know, not, not even just like in, I think it was like toward the wall maybe, and then went in and, and got a decent shot off of it. Like he, he stood out a lot. He's a hard four checker. Um, he, he certainly was one that made an impression, but I do think there's physical projection that you would want to see before you'd, you know, feel too confident projecting him up anywhere. Um, I, I, you know, I think that Greva's reputation as, as just, you know, has, has turned from the, the Brad Marchand thing that he said he looks up to him. Like, I think people have taken that and kind of run with it to t- almost paint him as just a, just the agitator, forgetting that Marchand is also an unbelievably skilled player. And that's why he, he highlights Marshawn because he thinks that he can can agitate, but also has skill. And like you know, after a few days, I you know I don't think he's Brad Marshawn, but I think that you know he does have skill. Like he he has got a pretty good shot, or at least a shot that was noticeable when he rung it off the crossbar several times to go bar down. Like he was trying to pick corners every single time. It seemed like, and um, you know, I I don't think that this is a guy that you're looking at and saying. Oh, future top line like Brad Marchand, but I, I do think he's a lot more than just a guy who's going to throw a lot of hits. Speaking of physicality, Elmer Soderblom really caught me off guard as to how skilled he was for a guy his size. He he wasn't dominant the whole time like you would hope a guy at six foot seven would be, but he made some a lot of plays that you don't expect a guy that's six foot seven to make. So he he kind of stood out a bit for me at points. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the phrase that. Iserman used at the draft when he was talking about him was that he saw him and you know he thought he might go in the in the fourth round or later but that there was something there I think that's that's the perfect way there's something there like what exactly is it I don't like do I think he's going to be a, the next you know dominant physical force probably not like you're saying but a guy who's that big with those kind of hands and you know finer skills you know he's, they're not like crazy high end but they're they're noticeable for a guy of that size. And so it's, it's the kind of situation where, you know, we we talk about it a lot, the three of us, like that's the kind of guy you want to put into your system and let your development staff cook with and just see what can come out of it. Oh yeah. That, that kind of pick's not going to land every time, but it just takes once. It just takes one time. And if it pans out, then you have a special kind of player. It's just like with the smaller guys, like a lot of, you know, a lot of the really big guys that have some skill aren't going to make it. A lot of guys, a lot of the really little guys who have some skill aren't going to make it, but you hit on one or two of them and, and then it gets really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the development camp is, um, aside from the, the breaks and the injuries was actually really, really great. Um, it was awesome to see the actual insight into the way Sider plays because the footage was somewhat limited from his uh, time in Germany. Like I said, it was a little underscouted. Um, Max put together some great pieces highlighting specific points about his game in uh, one of his many articles that he's put out recently on The Athletic, so make sure you go check those out. I'm going to pivot us here to um, free agency. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to be honest here. Uh, I knew I wouldn't be on top of uh, what happened exactly on July 1 from noon until like 5 p.m. I think it was like 5 p.m. when I got back into town. And um, I messaged Max, and I was like... uh, no, don't have a lot of Wi-Fi. Nothing's really loading. Um, any? What are the big signings? Like where did Panarin go? He's like, oh, Panarin to uh, New York, and he goes, uh, Philpula to Detroit. And I went, okay. 
and that's uh, that's not to say it's a bad thing. Um, we're going to chat about it a little bit, but it was just so unexpected. I went, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to figure out everything I need to to react to this in time. So I'm going to put my phone away until I'm home. And at 5 p.m., I just sat. I told Mel, I was like, I'm sitting in front of my laptop for an hour to try and catch up to everything because a lot happened. Uh, but we'll focus on what happened with the, the Red Wings, um, starting off with Valtteri Filippula coming back uh, for, for two years. So uh, chat with us a little bit about how that fits in why they brought him in and, and how that fits into the Red Wing system. Well, they basically, you know, Eiserman says it's, they, they had a hole at center and they wanted to, he, he was a guy who they thought, you know, could, could uh, fill it. I mean, I, I think it does certainly tells you how they felt about the Andreas Athanasiu experiment at the end of last year. I mean, Eiserman called wing Athanasiu's natural position. So it, it very clearly tells you that's where they see him going forward. And, and maybe you see him at center in, in a pinch or when there's people hurt just because he's demonstrated something he can do. But it, it's pretty clear they think that maximizing him means playing him at center. And I think Philpil is a guy who, who you know, you bring him in and, you know, he's not going to put up big numbers. I think he put up, what, 31, 32, 33 points last year in 70-some games. Something like that, but, yeah. But he is skilled enough that he can get the puck to either at Athanasiu or Zadina, or if, if, if let's say Taro Hirose makes a team, you can play Taro Hirose with him, and it's not like a uh, like a situation that's going to waste Hirose's playmaking. You know, like there are some there are some guys on the Red Wings that if Taro Hirose makes a team, you do have to kind of be careful how you're playing him in order to get the most out of him. You don't want to put a guy who playmate who makes plays like that um, with someone who's who's not necessarily going to finish. Like and I'm not calling Philpo a deadly finisher but i think he's someone who if taro finds him in a good spot um you know he can he can make the play that's needed to be made there uh and i, I think i think that matters having that kind of versatility I, uh, personally i think that like if you have him and nielsen they're probably pretty interchangeable and i think nielsen's defense is probably better so maybe he gets the the tougher matchups or the you know whatever or, or if you want to play him with athens cu to balance it that way but ultimately i think this just gives detroit you know kind of versatility and flexibility in the middle six at, at center the beauty about these contracts is that um, whether you like them or not and how extremely you like them or not uh, they're only two years all three of the signings were two years for low money um, three million or below so um, that really was whether or not I was a fan of the Philpula signing at the time and then even after I looked at it it actually didn't even matter because like you said um, it's just plugging a hole it's not like a long-term solution uh, they want to give some support to that center depth, which at this point was Larkin, Nielsen, and had to be Athanasiu if there's no one else there. And uh, like you mentioned, Eisenman really views Athanasiu's natural position at wing, which after that short experiment last season, you know, most I think would agree. So my is it my favorite signing? No. Um, do I think he'll be great on the second line if he plays there or if Nielsen plays there? Not necessarily, but it's fine enough. There are advantages to it. There's silver linings here, and it's really, if you look at the long-term plan, it's not, it almost isn't going to matter. Like The Red Wings aren't going to be busting down doors within the next year or two. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense with sort of their development timeline. Like it's a guy who who they can play with young guys as they come up without a ton of you know concern. I, it's not a move that you make if you're trying to get into the – I mean not to say they're not trying to get into the playoffs in like a tanking sense. But like if you're going hard after the playoffs, you're probably looking for a little bigger upgrade at center than that. Um, but but you know, I think, think it's pretty unanimous in this conversation at least that that's not the position Detroit's in right now. So it's, it's pretty low risk. It's pretty – it's certainly you – know, 
not the biggest upside, but it's pretty low risk too. Now, Patrick Nemeth was another uh, Nemeth or Nemeth. We're gonna have to figure that one out. Um, looking it up, we found out that it was Patrick Nemeth. So I don't know how that'll translate to English. So we'll say Nemeth for now. Um, he was another surprising signing, but that was actually one that um, the more I looked into it, the more I really liked because he's not you know great offensively, but he has shown flashes of really solid defensive play, and the Red Wings have a notable lack of that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you have guys like Green and you have guys like Hronik who really want to push the puck forward, you want to ease their play style a little, a little bit and bring in, bringing in a low-cost guy like Patrick Nemeth um, would really allow them to do that. Uh, Max, we talked a lot about um, Colin Miller from Vegas. This almost fills in what we were kind of advocating for with uh, being a potential trade move for Detroit, where they bring in a guy who could provide some a little bit more defensive accountability to allow the offensive defenseman to thrive. Yeah, and I think like Nemeth's probably like a more stay-at-home guy than than Miller, and, and I think like kind of where I got where, where I what I wrote about this, and it's kind of where I landed about the whole thing is Detroit didn't necessarily have a glaring opening at defense but they did have a glaring need which was guys who are, who are going to stay home and and are going to defend hard and, and i think you know you look at the composition of that position for the red wings right now and it's a lot of kind of aging veterans and a lot of a lot of young guys who are still kind of finding their footing in the nhl game and a, a mid to late 20s stay at home st- solid defender you know i don't think patrick nemitz gonna you know fill the nets very much this year or, or even be on the score sheet all, all too much but he can serve a purpose that the, that the defense the red wings have kind of been trotting out the last couple of years has not been good enough at and that's suppressing shots suppressing shots in in tough areas i think when you bring up like the hockey viz uh, michael blake mccurdy kind of heat map on where the shots he allows come from i think right in front of the net is probably his best area and that is certainly something the red wings have been missing that they want to play him with either mike green or Philip Hironic. So that tells me he's going to be in the top four. That tells me he's going to get tough minutes. And if that's how they want to um, want to roll him out, I think he's a good fit for that role. I think, um, you know, again, again, not a flashy signing. There were, of course, bigger name defensemen out there, but he fills a, a direct need even without filling maybe an opening, so to speak. We'll chat a little bit more about uh, roster outlook in just a second. Um, just want to cover the last... Uh, signing Calvin Pickard or Picard? Brad, you just Pickard. Said Pickard, really? Pickard. Who knew? Uh, Calvin Pickard uh, was, a, a, again, a low-impact signing, most likely a Grand Rapids guy, but um, that factors into uh, Larson's development for Detroit. Yeah, big time, and that's their plan for it. I mean, Larson kind of almost hinted at it earlier this week, or last week, I guess now, when he kind of said he doesn't know who the other goalie will be, but he thinks it's going to be a, a, a good guy that he can really learn from, and that basically is, is how it played out i think you know eiserman said they, they plan to have him there and he's a, a good character guy good attitude they got the kind of guy they want their top goalie prospect to learn from um to me that makes pretty good sense now uh one thing that you did today which made me want to hug you was uh you wrote a, ro- uh, a roster projection article <laughs> which was so good because the amount of twitter questions that were can you project to this year's roster in December after key injuries to this player and this player and uh, do it all in a Twitter form and like it was just there's just so much noise especially after the signing so Max put out a great article uh, cleared up a lot of that noise and gave us some uh, 
possible, if not likely, scenarios for how the Red Wings' opening night roster is going to be. And my favorite line in all of that, which is, was something like, if this was going to be, or if you, if you can find a line that played together from start to finish of the season, that would be the first time it ever happened. Yeah. Which I feel like nobody really understands. They keep talking about keeping these lines together forever, and I'm like, no, it's just not the way it happens. Jeff Blashill's the coach, and that just doesn't happen in hockey. And it's every coach. Like, like find a coach who keeps the same top 12 together for a full season. Like, It doesn't work that way. It never does. Yeah. I, I, like, you know, hate to, hate to be the bearer of bad news. Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi aren't going to play all 82 games together. Like, and if that's, if that's news to somebody, I'm sorry, but it— but it shouldn't be news. Bless your I, soul. I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> but that was your first line, which was... Yeah, uh, and it should be. And I think they're going to play the heavy majority of games together because it clearly works. It works on a number of levels. It's three of their best forwards. It's three guys who play complementary games. It's it's all that stuff. Uh, they can play against top competition because they're all you know reasonably okay in their own zone too. Mantha's pretty good. Larkin's really good. Um, I, I think that makes total sense as your top line. But especially when you get into the middle six, like, you know, you can mix and match guys however you want. I think the way I did it, I, I kind of decided that the Red Wings MO for a while has been to bring along their youngest players fairly slowly. That I think that means probably third line minutes for for Zadina at least to start the year. I don't think that if Zadina looks pretty good or looks even looks like he just would be better served by playing a little higher up in the lineup, that they're gonna categorically rule it out. Although, you know, you could make a case that They'll want him to kind of, you know, so quote unquote earn, you know, second line, first line, whatever minutes too. But but I think that when you look at starting the season, it doesn't make, um, it's not. It wouldn't be surprising to see him on the third line with someone like Philpola, who you know, again, it, the line I had is uh, the third line is Zadina Philpola Helm. Do I think it's ideal to have kind of like Helm as one of the players who's kind of maybe working with Sedin in the offensive zone. Not necessarily. It's, that's not the role that you would probably peg for Darren Helm. But Blaschel has shown a, a willingness in you know um, recent years to put Helm with skilled players because he can be a good forechecker. He can retrieve the puck. He can get it to Filpola, who can get it to Zadina. He can get it to Zadina, who can get it to Filpola. There's sort of a, a natural flow of how that line would operate without putting Zadina on an island where if, if they don't have the puck, like, let's say he's playing with – Early, you know, but prior to the Philpola signing, I think there were some people who wanted to see Athanasiu Zadina Hirose, and I can understand the appeal of that 100 percent on the offensive zone. And what happens when they don't have the puck, and like, can they get it back? Like, and so I think you're not going to see Zadina on a line with all offensive players right away because that, that's just not how they're going to try to break him in. Like, they might put him with Athanasiu and Nielsen because Nielsen's a great defender, and I think that's probably the, the way you go if you're trying to do a quote unquote stacked top six would be. Larkin, Matt, the Bertuzzi, Nielsen, Zadita, Athens, CU. But, like, why not spread the scoring out a little bit? Why not be able to bring people along at your own pace? Why not play Hiroshi with Athens, CU? Those two guys had chemistry. So, so the way I worked it out was like that. But I guess where I, the long winded place I'm going with this is that if you can mix and match a lot in that lineup, and I, I, you can make a very good case for it, you can take guys in and out. You could put Zadina in Grand Rapids, and you could put Sveshnikov or Rasmussen up in Detroit. Um, you can. I had Dennis Chalowski on the third pair, partly just to make a point about how easy it is to do if they want to do it. But if you wanted to put, you know, Oliver Koski in there, or if you want to put Madison Bowie in there, or even if you want to just keep Jonathan Erickson and Trevor Daly in there, all those things work out reasonably well 
out. You can make very good cases for it. But the reason that I wanted to put the article together like I did is, number one, to show how they want to use Nemet and Philpola. And number two, to, you know, admittedly, I wanted to make a point about how simple it is to get Dennis Chalowski playing time if he shows that, that, that that's what they should do in training camp. Like He's not at all blocked off, I don't believe, by the Nemet signing. And that was sort of a if I can be honest, a driving point in what I wanted to lay out when I did that article. So given one thing you just mentioned and the whole thing about how you can mix matches however you want, we're all in agreement here that if the third pairings, Daly and Erickson, someone in the Red Wings organization is actively tanking, right? <laughs> I could tell you a lot of different things. I, I would, <laughs> you know, it, Probably it would tell you something about you know demands that they want out of the young guys to to earn their earn their spot in the lineup there. Like if, you know, it, it's been an emphasis from basically the last three, four weeks, as strong as emphasis as you can imagine from Iserman and how he drafted and in how he approached free agency that they don't want a defense that doesn't defend. And the criticism with all three of these young guys that we're talking about, Chalosky, Kasky, and Bowie would be in the defensive zone. So that would that would be the reason I would have to assume if, if none of those three guys are in the lineup. Do I think that's what's going to happen? I, I kind of don't, but it, it could. And I think, you know, we know that Dennis Chalosky works really hard in the offseason. I, I wrote a whole big takeout about it last year. He's going to he's going to work really hard to, you know, attack those def- those kind of perceived deficiencies in, in, in the D zone. And if he can do it, I don't see any reason why he can't get that lineup spot. I don't see any reason why they will categorically rule out Kasky from getting playing time, even if it means taking a few lumps, because he is a little bit more advanced and he's the Finnish League MVP. I think there's clearly something there. Um, so I would try not to read too much in on you know July 2nd to uh, how things are like shaping up on the defense score because a lot of it is going to depend on what things look like in Traverse City and through the eternal preseason schedule the Red Wings are going to play this year. But but I really think you can make an argument that there's any number of ways for that to play out. So uh, a couple things just to broader uh, talk broader strokes here. One, um, the forward line projections were a great de- uh, demonstration of what Eisenman was saying during his initial presser, and then every pretty much every day since then, which is that this rebuild is going to take a long time and it's not going to be pretty to start. Because I had no serious contention with what you said or what you laid out, even though I had some small disagreements because pretty much what you've laid out is the Red Wings are going to make the best of what they have and it's not going to be perfect. If Franz Nielsen and Valtteri Filippula are going to have to slot in as your second line center, that's not perfect. It's not You're not going to be fielding or icing a great hockey team there. If Taro Hirose is going to be your second line winger, I mean, that's not a knock on Taro, Taro Hirose. I love the game he plays and I think he, he could be a really interesting experiment. Um, you would prefer a guy with his kind of creativity and abilities, uh, but his level of play to be, you know, an effective third or fourth line winger. Um, you're just kind of making the best of what you have. But the defensive pairings were super, super interesting. And that actually was the first time where I looked at this defensive core and I thought this is starting to take some shape. Putting Patrick Nemeth with Mike Green makes so much sense. If Nemeth has that defensive accountability, that is really going to accent uh, Mike Green's game. It's going to offset a little bit of his regression and allow him to play the kind of game he likes to play, uh, even if he does get a little worse this year. Uh, Philip Ronick with Danny DeKaiser. I mean, if DeKaiser continues the upward momentum that he brought on last year, um, that'll help Hronik's development 
some defensive accountability, some all together, uh, some all around experience and veteran leadership, um, and, and some positional soundness with his, from his defensive partner will really help him take the next step. Uh, the Chalosky daily line kind of hor- pairing or potential pairing kind of horrifies me. Um, I don't see Daly offering too much by way of you know defensive accountability from what we saw last season. But again, it's that same notion of intangibles, veteran leadership, etc. And that's when you get in the territory of well, here's where anything can happen. You talked about Kasky. You talked about um, you know Bowie maybe factoring in, or if if you believe Brad's tinfoil hat theory of they're just going to put Erickson Daly in tank. It's it's uh, there's a lot to be said there. But it, there's finally some kind of a plan or what of what that blue line looks like. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair take. So aside from that long ramble about how the roster might look, uh, a lot can happen between now and October. Max, as you noted in your article, um, there are injuries. There's a lot of preseason to play. So uh, starting off by reading these projections is a great way to build a foundation, knowing that. A lot is going to change between now and then. Uh, do you foresee any more activity from Eisenman before the end of or within the coming days of free agency? Well, he said that he wouldn't be closed off to adding another winger or even potentially another defenseman. Um, I think, based on the way they've operated, I think he said they've only really even looked at like one, two, or three year deals. So you're probably looking at waiting that out a little bit if that's going to happen because you figure some of the, the guys who are on the market are, are looking for you know a little bit of term still there. But it, it wouldn't shock you. you should, I shouldn't say it wouldn't shock you. It wouldn't shock me if that happened. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting it, uh, so to speak. I mean certainly there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are hoping that that winger could be Nikita Gusev, for example. Um, but you know, I'm not going to make any predictions, uh, one way or the other on that. I, you know, it's been, uh, every signing so far has come a little bit out of nowhere and I would expect that to be the, uh, the way this goes for at least the first little while here. At risk of, uh, jamming too much content into one interview, we'll save the Gusev conversation for another day in hopes that something pans out. Uh, but until then, Max... Thank you as always. You got to have it now. Milk the content so that uh, <laughs> he could he could get traded while we're speaking. Right now. I would be so angry if the moment we stopped recording with you, the Gusev deal came through. Okay, we don't have to go too in depth. Let's just go. Let's just have a fun little game. All right, Max, Nikita Gusev and David Clarkson for taking on those contracts and put starting all the entry level guys in Grand Rapids. God, I this could go so badly depending on how wrong I am, but. Uh, <laughs> You might still have to move like one contract or something to make that work in order to take on Clarkson. Yeah. But I also think you'd have to give up something. I don't think just taking on Clarkson's contract is going to be enough yeah. to get Gusev. Odds are there'd be a cheap-ish player going back the other way, which would make a bit of a difference. So, yeah, because again, is Nikita Gusev worth it? Because I, I think he's the type of player that's worth the risk for Detroit right now, but who really knows? He's a 26-year-old who's going to be entering his prime, or at least his, you know, the prime of his output soon. He's been absolutely dominating the KHL, and you know he wants a two-year deal so he can get into free agency and cash out, or maybe have his choice of who uh, who he plays for. So you do run some risk there. Say a team like Detroit, who's not necessarily two years away from contending, trading for him, paying him, and then all of a sudden losing him in free agency. At which point did you just give up Svechnikov or Rasmussen or another asset to acquire a guy who's not going to factor in for your long-term plans? 
Yeah, my advice would be to not get too attached to the idea of a goose of trade. Number one, because you know, as as clearly demonstrated, I don't know exactly the the mechanics of how you'd even make it work if if there's a contract coming with it. But number two, because there's going to be a lot of interested teams and a lot of teams that are interested because they're trying to win now, which I think is a different level of motivation than than what the Red Wings, you know, would figure to be approaching it with. Um, you know, Eiserman's the guy who was GM at Tampa when they drafted Goose. I mean, clearly he's familiar with the player. Like I'm sure, I'm sure that's on his radar. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there, there's also going to be a team like Columbus that just watched half his locker room walk out. That probably going to be pretty motivated to to make something work too. Yeah, but do they have any picks left to give up for him? <laughs> yes, because they didn't. Uh, the, all the conditionals didn't convey on their deadline deals. Like they might even have their this year's first, right? That's right, because nobody signed with the team that they got traded right. to. That's right. That's right. So Columbus, if they wanted to make a play, could absolutely make a play. Um, yeah. Well, Columbus can't make a play, though, because you can't have two geese in that locker room. There's only room for one goose. <laughs> All right, it's time to end this. <laughs> it's time to cut us off. We're all shaking off the rust from the weekend. Max, <laughs> what rust are you talking about? I'm in peak form right now. <laughs> God help us. Max, thank you. We yeah. will uh, we'll have you on again soon. <laughs> Thanks for being with good. us today. Uh, I had to get one in there. And welcome back. Evan... Evan's displeasure is very clearly voiced. No one listens to me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, uh, it was good to talk to Max because he covered a lot of development camp. Uh, Like I said, if you want to get a little bit more video um, and actual demonstration of what he was talking about, check out his work. Um, He did a great job breaking that all down. Uh, So the Red Wings signings, let's dive right into it. I uh, was definitely surprised for two of those. Um, Both Philpula and Nemeth were kind of off the board for me. Um, someone on Twitter, Scott, I'm so sorry, Scott, I forgot your last name, um, asked me, are, would the Red Wings consider bringing back Phil Pula on a two-year deal for, say, $2.5 million per? And I was like, probably not. It wouldn't really make sense. They're already paying friends or um, uh, Franz Nielsen way more to do pretty much the same thing that Phil Pula would bring. Uh, don't really see the purpose of that. And lo and behold, he was right within $500,000. So uh, I eat crow on that one. There's egg on my face. Uh, let's start with that one. Valtteri Filippula returns as a Red Wing. As Max mentioned, Athens, you can go back to the wing, and that's the most important part of that signing to me because that's where... Now, I'm going to preface this because people yell at me when I say to put Athens back on the wing. Athens is fine at center. He's better at wing. His game is suited to play wing, and it takes the defensive responsibility off of him so he can just go nuts, play the wild offensive game that he does Philpla is going to allow him to do that for the next two years and that's fine yeah the is Valtteri Philpula the best second or third line center that you can have on your team no by no means um is there a lot available on the market for Detroit (laughs) no also by no means I think the best second line centerman that anyone acquired was Nazem Kadri and we all saw the price for that deal right like there there's not it's not like they can just plug that hole very easily Pushing Athens CU to the wing is, was the most important thing for Detroit. They very clearly tried out that um, Athens CU at center experiment for a reason. Um, like you said, he's fine. He's way better, way more dynamic, way more explosive. He's at his best on the wing. The eye test shows that. The numbers show that. And if you're going to make this 
roster, very, very generously mediocre roster, um, slightly more mediocre or even less good <laughs> to be uh, nice about it. Um, and that gets Athens to see on the wing. Yeah, by all means. The only, you know, if this is a bad thing moment I had was when I checked the term and the um, price and both of those were great. Three million is nothing on the cap. When Detroit has all the cap space in the world. Uh, two years is exactly what you kind of... The only way it could have been better is if it was one year. And even then, they probably would have needed him for another year. So, yeah. Is that is it a great signing? No. Does it make sense for a team at this stage in the rebuild? Yes. Do I like it personally? No. I, I, much w- I would have much rather have gone through the season not having a Fopula type and maybe just shoving in one of the other centers and just saying, screw it, Nielsen's our second-line center. Um but that realistically wouldn't have happened because they wouldn't have had the versatility <laughs> versatility in quotations here down the middle, and they would have pushed Athens to to center. So I kind of argued against my own point there. You can see how they came to the decision. Yeah, my uh, my pro Philpla argument is I really did not want to see middle six center Luke Glendening again. So yeah, the uh, great news, great silver lining is everyone can bring their Valtteri Philpula jerseys back out. No, we can't. He's not the same. Isn't Franz Nilsson 51? And now we get to the crux of the argument. <laughs> How do they settle this fight? Philpula's just not going to take 51, right? No, he's going to probably wear 15. Yeah. They're or both th- going to wear 51 because no one will really notice the difference. <laughs> <laughs> They're the same player. And now the hoax has been busted. Maybe he can just wear number 52. No, that's Erickson. 53. No, that's Rossi. 54. No, that's Kuffner. 55. No, that's Cronwell. Man, 50s are the numbers of irrelevancy. I know. The Red Wings. I, I had to laugh years ago when the Red Wings signed Mike Green. There was only one other number 52 in the NHL at the time. And he played for the Red Wings. <laughs> Can you imagine coming onto a team and you can't have your number because Jonathan Erickson holds it? <laughs> Scored, what, 37 goals once in a season? And yeah. Jonathan Erickson has your number? Yeah. You know what? That nielsen um analysis was spot on, Evan. I know it was just a hilarious joke, but you're actually kind of right. Like, yeah, they're not I, completely identical players. But but they're not not completely identical players. Someone asked, "Who would you prefer to have on the second line?" I was like, "I don't know. Whoever can keep up the best with Athens CU, just who's healthy." Then? Yeah. <laughs> Remember the last game of the of the season last year? How everyone else was irrelevant except for the key players on the team. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like we just walked out to a beer league team and were like you you look like you can play a little bit. We'll throw you in the lineup. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. We're not exactly big advocates for the qualities and value of veteran leadership in terms of actual on-ice production. But when you lack players who can have actual on-ice production, the veteran leadership and know-how of Philpula actually will be the only tangible value you can draw. It's not great. They're not going to win hockey games because of it. But it certainly will help more than none, or at least that's the hope. If he turns out to be a plus player, uh, that's, you know... Great. Awesome signing. Bold of you to assume anybody on the Red Wings will be a plus player this season. I'm not even talking plus minus. I just mean like (laughs) they'll do positive things on the ice as opposed to not having them. I got you. But even that, it's not likely and that's not what they're expecting him to be. They literally just need someone to play the position. He is basically the stopgap until Valeno's ready. Exactly. And if Valeno's ready this year by some fluke chance, cool. Uh, Throw any one of them to the wing. It doesn't matter. If Leno's ready next year, great. Throw Philippa or Nielsen to the wing, or it doesn't matter. He's a stopgap, and it's fine. And Athens, you can play the wing. And the Red Wings had no shortage of forward spots available. So 
in the end, the ultimate true answer here is who cares? The Red Wings have the following players in their top six who absolutely should be top six at all times, barring some kind of unknown circumstance. Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiu, Bertuzzi, end of list. Zadina will get there, has to develop. Hiroshi could play there. If Hiroshi's your second line winger, you're suffering, as the Red Wings are. Uh, Nielsen, Philpula, Helm, Abdulkader, Dillarose. They'll all see time in that top don't, six, and Ryan, that's all you need to know. Ryan, don't. So for anyone who's really upset... Dust off that tank helmet. <laughs> you're, it's not much to be upset with because there's not a lot of choices. I'm going to pivot us to the defense here because this is actually, as I mentioned in the interview, um, pretty interesting. Patrick Nemeth um, coming over from Colorado. Uh, was a signing that I was confused about at first, but digging up the profile on him and, and how he plays and what he could add to the team... Makes a lot of sense. I figured out, as you and Max were talking, I figured out who Patrick Nemeth is. Okay? He's what Jeff Blashill thinks Jonathan Erickson is. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a testament to how the Jonathan Erickson experiment, and I use the word experiment loosely, uh, has gone. Because yeah. Nemeth isn't exactly lights out. Like, he was still, he came in for low money and they got him for low term. So it, yeah. it's, not, it's not like he was a... Highly coveted piece. Because I'm pretty sure that if you put Evan on Detroit's blue line, he will produce more offense than Patrick Nemeth. But Patrick Nemeth suppresses shots at a pretty decent rate for what he's getting paid. Is he an elite defensive defenseman? No. That's why we got him for $6 million over two years. Is he poor defensively? Also no, which is a big plus. So there we go. He's, uh, he's a guy who you can plug in where you don't have to give up any assets to get him. You don't have to pay him a ton of money, and he might reasonably help your offensive defensemen or your defensemen who are still developing, like in Philip Ronick. If bringing in Patrick Nemeth will help reduce the effect of uh, Mike Green's regression as he ages or help along um, uh, Hironik's development into a potential top pairing or at least top four defenseman, that is a fantastic signing. Is it a needle mover? Just barely. Not really. Just barely at best. Nemeth is probably going to be Mike Green's offset because the Hironic to Kaiser pairing was actually pretty good last year. So that's likely Detroit's top pairing this year. If your second pairing's Nemeth and Mike Green, you're not hemorrhaging goals. No. Um, so you're doing all right there. And then your bottom pairing can be, like Max alluded to, who the hell ever you want. If you want that to be Chaloski and Daly, if you want it to be Erickson and Kasky, Bowie and Chaloski. It doesn't matter. You can do it because you've actually got uh, not a firmly established top four, but let's say competent, mm-hmm. competent top four. Hey, what do we say that teams always need? Competent bumps. Patrick Nemeth is a competent. Bump. Let me tell you, we got lots of those. Uh, do we though? <laughs> uh, we were it ta- depends on the game and the time. <laughs> Before that signing, we were talking about Bowie being a likely full-time NHLer, which is something. He, a full-time competent bum. I don't even think he could have been like fairly confidently qualified as competent. Yeah, I don't think he yeah. can be there. I don't I, think he can't be there. Yeah, I think he'll get there. I don't have as much confidence as you, but that's and that's fair. But when you're having that conversation about a guy when you're only asking him to be a fifth or sixth guy, it speaks to what yeah. you have. So, yeah, yeah, they're asking him to fill in that we just need you to go out there, play hockey and not screw up role, which is something we have lacked. 
Yeah. The Red Wings have really it's liked not him. necessarily the formula for winning hockey, but it's necessary as long as the guys offsetting him are doing their jobs properly, which is a big question mark. But that's not to be blamed on Nemeth. Rebuilds are fun to speculate about because we always talk about how the teams will come out of them. The harsh reality is that they are ugly in the thick of it. And boy, are the Red Wings in the thick of it. Unless you're the Rangers. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. They started their rebuild after Detroit and they're done. <laughs> so far. All you got to do is win the lottery, have a ton of money, and make a really unfavorable trade for and the live other team. In an un- and be an unreal city to live in. Yeah. yeah. Be in Manhattan. Detroit is not in Manhattan. Yeah. Wait, is it? No. No. Oh, yeah. So it'll go differently. Gone are the days where the where Detroit is a premier landing spot for top end free agents. Hey, Detroit's almost Canada, but it's almost Windsor. Hey, no offense. Well, sorry, yeah, offense. Fair, definitely offense. Fair. Um, yeah, I I know people might have been expecting a little bit more of a, a deep dive on these guys, but that is the deep dive. There's there, not there, a lot to it. Yeah, there's it's no. horizontal at best. <laughs> yeah. We skimmed the water. We jumped in feet first into the shallow, and now we're getting off so we can go have some burgers. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Um, there's, They're not going to be exciting players to watch. There is a certain amount of nostalgia with Philip Pula coming back. I did have that moment of, I'm sorry, come again, when I asked Max what signings happened, and he said Philip Pula, but you have that small reaction, then you're like, oh, wait, of course, yeah, there's nothing else to be done. We missed, we forgot the best part of the Nemeth signing. Hmm. Anthony Mantha's Instagram. Oh, yeah. Where there was a picture of him fighting Luke Witkowski, who Detroit then signed. And then there was a picture of him fighting Patrick Nemeth, who Detroit just signed. And then you go to the next slide on his Instagram story. And he's like, ha, ah, funny people are telling me to fight McDavid now. I mean, I'm just saying you could try, Anthony. If you're going to keep breaking your hand, you might as well break it on someone good's face. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you just took Connor McDavid out of the game for five <laughs> minutes. OK, that's not that's not entirely a bad strategy. Uh, Calvin Pickard, we talked about it with Max. He'll be a great uh, mentor and a guy who can play with Larson down in Grand Rapids. Challenge him for that top spot. You know, if he's taking games away from him, he's learning. Larson's learning from him, and if Larson's beating him out, he's a great backup for him. So, uh, and in the event of an injury, which will happen, I would Pickard's a great guy to have up in. Uh, it's a really good utility pickup. Yeah. Asterix, assuming he clears waivers, which he likely will. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the rest of free agency, which was kind of fun. It was by no means any NBA free agency. Oh, but it, this was the best NHL free agency in a long time. Lots happened. Uh, let's start with the big names that just come to the top of our heads. Uh, Artemi Panarin left some money on the table to, uh, instead of being in Long Island, being in Manhattan, he turned down, I think it was $12.5 million times seven years in, with the Islanders to take. Or was that Columbus? Both. Oh, Columbus made a last uh, last ditch effort for, to uh, sign him for twelve. I believe the offer was twelve and a half. He ended up taking eleven point six something, eleven point six seven with the Rangers over seven years. I mean, when I say leaving money on the table, I mean it's still a million a year almost. It's still fu money. Yeah, uh, but he wanted to live in Manhattan. His family, I think it was his girlfriend, really valued living there. He lo- he he was always linked with that team. Didn't end up being Florida, which. Um, that kind of died off rather quickly. Yeah, because they threw all their money at Sergei Bobrovsky. Which is fair. Which are we doing first? Panarin. The Panarin deal. The yeah, money. it was a fine deal. Um, again, God, that seems like a lot of money to me. It, it's a ton of money, but... And as, term, well, I, the term's not as bad, but it, it could look bad at 
the last two years. I just feel like that's a lot of money. But it's only seven years, and he's, what, 26, 27? He's 27. Yeah, he's not that old yet. He's going to have a good uh, good number of years in him. He's not a player that relies on speed to be effective. And he's going into a team that's turned the corner on the rebuild rather quickly. So the Rangers window might only be two, three years away from opening up. So, I mean, they got Kako, they got Truba, Lundqvist is still their goalie. Yeah, it's a good move for the Rangers. And again, you look at most of the stats and analytics around the league is if you want to build an effective team, pay your superstars a ton of money and then fill the rest of the the roster out with cheap contracts. Don't get bogged down by these five, six million dollar in the middle of the yep. road players. If you have to overpay to get a Panarin, you overpay to get a Panarin. That's the reality of today's NHL. So I I love what the Rangers have done. It's uh, it still comes in at under fifteen percent of the cap, and then when you factor in that the cap is due to jump because of the TV deal and because of Seattle money and gambling and gambling, that that's gonna be that's probably gonna work in their favor. And if you have an Artemi Panarin at twenty eight, twenty nine years old, and you're all of a sudden playing in the playoffs, and you have an over point per game player on your team in his prime, well, not in his prime, but you know, with still like prime years in him, that's you if you overpay. You're overpaying your superstars. If you land a superstar in free agency and you have the option to pay him a little bit more than objective market value, oh yeah, by all means you do it. Now Sergey Bobrovsky, Ooh, that's a woof. You me. know, I'm gonna come out and say this for the anyone who hasn't been listening long enough. I defended the Carey Price deal when it came out. So you have to now. Yeah, you've dug your hole. No, no. I'm going to say I've learned my lesson. I think <laughs> paying that much money to a position that's so volatile and can't carry you unless your team is good enough to get you into the playoffs, it's a big question mark. What was it? What was the deal at the terms again? Seven years, 10 million per. Whoa. And he's 30. Whoa. He's- now, I'm going to go on the positive side here. I don't actually hate the term. A lot of goalies are being successful well into their late 30s. Broder did it. Pekka Rene is doing it now. It's not uncommon for goalies to still be effective on the, the wrong side of 35. And it's only two years on the wrong side of 35. $10 million a year for a goalie seems insane to me, unless he's Carey Price. And now, that being said, arguing against myself, Bobrovsky's put up very similar numbers to Carey Price over the last five years, so... I guess it takes one year with a good enough team around him where he gets hot in the playoffs, like what Tuka Rask did this year. They win a cup, that contract's automatically worth it. End of story. I'm not saying the carry price deal is a nightmare. I'm saying it's a big risk to be paying that. But at at some at one point, if you're Florida, you have to say we're solving our goaltending issue. It was part of their uh, their. Didn't they just do that at 13th overall? Well, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so what does that do to Spencer Knight in five years? Well, I, I mean, in five they years. They hopefully have the best one-two combo in the game. But you also don't want to be waiting seven years for Spencer Knight to play, right? If you just drafted Spencer Knight at 13, do you really want to be waiting seven years for him? What if he is, an, is the superstar people think he's going to be? Then you have two. Well, then that's a great problem to have. You have Spencer Knight on an ELC or a fairly low contract. And you have the option of moving one of them if you're Florida. <laughs> now, who's taking Bobrovsky's contract? Oh, literally no one. Here's why this is a good deal for Florida, though. Because talking to your window, it only takes one cup to mm-hmm. make this entire contract worthwhile. And Jonathan Huberdeau, Alexander Barkov, Vincent Trocek, and Aaron Ekblad, the core of their team. 
for at the minimum the next three years are all cap controlled for a combined twenty three million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's that, unreal. They have those four players for two Artemi Panarins, and again, that's four years left on Huberdeau at five point nine. Three years left on Barkov at five point nine. That is an insane deal. Barkov is a world class yep. centerman. Three years left of Trocheck at four point seven five, and then. Six years left of Ekblad at seven and a half. That one actually might not. That's not great, but again, you it's, can. The value is getting there now. When you get some disgusting contracts on your team, you can overpay other premium players to fill out your roster. This is why, for a team like Detroit, getting Larkin at six one is so important because if that window opens up in three years, you still have two more years left of him at a dirt cheap contract. By no means do I think this signing is bad. I think they just got a world-class goalie. I think part of them bringing in Quenville was they promised him they're solving the goaltending issue. I thought they brought Quenville in because he's literally the Panthers logo. I love that picture. I've been thinking about it since he showed it to me. yeah, it's just there's a certain amount of risk, but you also have to respect them, respect them going for it. If it wasn't going to be them, it was going to be someone else. Um, and good on Bobrovsky for getting paid again. <laughs> his last oh, year, I saw that, yeah. His last deal was what, 7x7 seven seven or 5x7? Seven? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the next biggest story, or possibly a story that's bigger than both of those. The bizarre offer, seat, offer sheet situation that has formulated with Sebastian Ajo. For those of you who don't know, Sebastian Ajo... Got extremely lowballed in his initial offer from Carolina. It came in at like six and a half million. Aho, if you look at the numbers, you can make arguments for him in a lot of different at a lot of different places, but generally, um, nine to ten million. That's what you would have to pay him over the course of seven years or seven or eight years. So he signed a five-year offer sheet with Montreal that was extremely front-loaded with bonuses, uh, front-loaded with salary payout. Um, but came in at an average of 8.45. Yep. Did, did Sebastian Ajo's agent screw up big time here? No, Sebastian Ajo's agent just hit a massive home run. Tell me. Tell me why. He's walking him right into unrestricted free agency at the age of 27. Okay, yes. And that is the big sweetener that makes this okay for Sebastian Ajo and a lot of cash up front, which is also good. But that's also like a million off your average annual value for the next five years. I don't think Ajo is, was ever going to get more than $9 million from anybody. I, I don't think he's a great player, but I don't think he's in the Marner point tier. He should be, but I don't think he's viewed. Oh, okay. Way. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was ready to argue, but I can see that. Playing in a yeah. market like Carolina with a notoriously stingy you know, ownership group, uh, or what we thought was an owner, a stingy ownership group, he wasn't going to get that money. It was funny. The owner actually said that the offer sheet was a waste of time. And also, you have to think of this from Montreal's standpoint. There's a reason that that contract came in just a few thousand dollars short of $8.5 million, in which case, if Carolina didn't match, Montreal would have had to have given up two first-rounders, a second and a third, the threshold with the contract they offered him had Carolina declined it, they would have only given up one first rounder, a second, and a third. And that's worth it. Now, I saw, I, I was getting this news well after it happened, and I was reading through it um, sequentially. And I was like, I saw the number, and I was like, oh my God, Carolina has to match. And by then, I had seen the Carolina Hurricanes official Twitter account put out that poll saying, will we match this offer sheet? Yes or we? Oui. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which all this is coming from uh, Dundon himself, which I absolutely love. It's a very easy offer sheet to match. And they were they're legitimately trolling the Canadians. They're saying, yeah, we're going to match this. This is the easiest con- uh, offer sheet ever to match. It was a waste of your time. We're going to take our time matching it so you can't do anything with that salary cap space or those picks, which are technically in limbo. And really, we thought it would be for more money. So this is a great deal for us. Thank you for taking the work off my desk. At least somebody did one, though. I, I respect the hell out of Mark Bergevin for doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I would have actually paid him a million more a year so that it was that much harder for Carolina to match. Not from a financial standpoint, because then they would have been looking at it, ooh, two first-round picks. Maybe we should consider this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This, this did make it too easy, but I, I see where Montreal is coming from. But yeah, I love that someone did it. I is love it- that Carolina's clapping back. And hopefully nobody's actually butthurt over this because this is just business. This is fine. Exploit the system. So if Bergevin's cool with Carolina throwing shade and Waddell's not mad at Bergevin for doing this, hey, this is great. This is the kind of crap I want to see this time. Bergevin should do it again. Yeah. Brilliant point. Yeah. And then after that, go for Marner. Keep throwing him. Honestly... I agree with you fully. I agree with both of you fully for the first time in the history of this podcast. First, I would have gone the million further. In for a penny, in for a pound. The extra first round pick, but you're getting a guy like Sebastian Ajo. Just do it because that increases the, the chances of them not matching. Honestly, shoot your shot, Bergevin. I respect that. I get it. You you understand they're likely going to match it, but shoot your shot. Um, and I definitely want to see him keep doing it because it's so damn entertaining. I'm just- what are they going to beat him up? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed we got this far into this conversation about Bergevin doing this and we didn't use the Bergevin flex on him. Oh, yeah, it would have been too easy. It Someone was, tweeted was, out like uh, Bergevin has some other tricks up his sleeves and then everyone was tweeting the picture of him in the golf shirt. <laughs> yeah, there is no room up his sleeves, but we know what's in his sleeves. It's almost literal guns. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does this mean for the other RFAs? Because a... Braden Point is can't be underpaid anymore. Tampa Bay can hardly has that argument. And B, Mitch Marner can't be asking for $11 million anymore, right? No I, matter where you fall in the Ar- Marner versus Ajo point, you have to understand that the gap between them in either direction isn't very big. But here's the counterpoint to that. The gap between Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews isn't very big. Yeah, for me, Mitch Marner's camp will always look at... Uh, Austin Matthews. They won't look at anybody else in any other organization. They will directly point the finger at Austin Matthews. Sebastian Ajo is now getting a lot more attention across the National Hockey League. Obviously, people who are in the weeds, the kind of people who listen to this podcast know a lot about hockey. They they know who Sebastian Ajo is. The casual fan might not. There's a lot of casual fans in Toronto who now learned who Sebastian Ajo is, exactly how good he is. And how much their I guarantee you their opinions of how much Mitch Marner should be making are different. Oh, 100%. I seen multiple tweets saying, oh, no way Marner gets 10 million now. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't say that yet. If Marner has an offer on the table of right now of 10 by 5 and he doesn't take it, I think he's genuinely operating in the you might be harming your public image territory. And that's not something I, I ever thought I would say. No, me, that I don't, if I'm Mitch Marner, I do not care about public image at all because you know what cures a bad public image putting up another near 100 point season I don't nobody's know, gonna care william nylander is still getting flamed because of his holdout because he had a bad year 
So if Marner wants to hold out and go for and get ten and a half million dollars at whatever the term ends up being, people are going to be feel a little salty about that going into the season. But then when Mitch Marner comes out well over a point per game this season, nobody's going to care. See, I I I disagree because I think Marner is cl- much closer to Aho than he is to to Matthews, and at some point, just screaming. Matthews is my comparable comparable into the void can't hold. Dubas has is a smart guy. It clearly Toronto ownership and and executives clearly don't think that him and Austin Matthews are equivalent. No, because they're not. I know. It's not that big of a but difference. But the Marner though. camp will always extend overextend the other way. I think Marner Aho is much closer than Marner Matthews is. I don't think so. I would almost put Marner right in the middle. So if that that is almost ten million on the money right there, <laughs> the Marner camp won't care. They'll say that's their organization with their team and their guy. This is our organization with Austin Matthews making this amount of money. Just do this: sign Marner for nine point five, hire Paul Marner as special, you know, associate to player development, assistant personnel man, and pay him seven hundred fifty thousand a year for that job. MLSE, it makes no difference to MLSE. Everyone's happy, and then you get your guy. I'm sure that, that breaks a lot of laws and a lot of the CBA, but you're welcome, Toronto. I'll take my check in the mail. Thank you. <laughs> um, Braden Point will also be an interesting one. I really, really, really hope we see another offer sheet, but at this point, I wouldn't bank yeah. on it. All right, let's get into the rest of the signings because we're going to have all summer to speculate about the guys not yet signed, and there was a lot of signings that I have some feelings about. I'm going to do a good one first. Do, should we? Do, how about this? Let's do our winners and losers first, like every other podcast is doing, and then we can branch out from there. You want to do winners and losers first? Yeah, let's do it. And then we can talk about everybody on the teams we didn't mention. Uh, Winner, um, for me, San Jose. Interesting. I almost would have them the other way. Why? I don't, but... Why would you have them the other way? I really like Timo Meyer's contract. Yeah, exactly. I'm happy they kept Eric Carlson around. They still haven't signed Joe Thornton, and they lost Joe Pavelski. I I don't think that's a win. I don't think that's a loss. But sorry, you know what? I calling them winners. I like the Timo Meyer contract, and to me, that's a win. Yeah, the Timo Meyer contract is fantastic. Four by six is great for Timo Meyer, and that brings he'll still be an RFA when that's done. If I'm not mistaken, I believe so. Let me just double check that quickly. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, he he'll be an RFA when he expires. Signing Timo Meyer for seven point three percent of the cap. When we're he's not really that far behind some of the other superstar RFAs that we were just talking about, that's a phenomenal deal. Losing Pavelski hurts. It's a, a casualty that had to happen, though. Uh, Eunice Donskoy. They lost him as well. Is That sucks. Uh, losing him and Pavelski, man, that's a lot of production that just walked out the door in San yeah. Jose. So I understand why your point now. And nobody came in to replace it. It was great they kept Carlson. It was great they kept Timo Meyer. But they already had both those guys. But that's the price you have to pay to keep them. No, I agree. Big loser, Buffalo. That Tyler Myers deal was atrocious from the moment they... Tyler Myers went to Vancouver. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I looked at it. I was looking at his old team. Uh, Vancouver. Six by five is a bad deal. Bad deal for Tyler Myers. Straight up. I'm sorry. Someone someone made the point of the amount of minutes that he was logging is enough for six million. I think it was Jamie uh, McLennan on Twitter. Like... I respect him defending the guy, but no, he played at a third pairing level of defense in the past. He he's comp competent or good on the power play, but you don't pay six million dollars for that over term. You don't give a competent bum six million dollars. No, 
Um, Anders Lee deal, it was essentially the Islanders. Shit, we didn't get Panarin. Hey, Anders. Yeah. Would you like to be overpaid? Yeah, that, that to me was a loss. Yeah, that was a really bad contract. And that's that's not a contract that's going to look that bad in the next couple of years. But years three, four, five, six, seven, that might be rough. Because Anders Lee had a regressed this season, this past season. He's already on the downslope. And he's 29, 30 years old? 28. 28? Oh, that's not going to be good. Another big loser was Columbus. They Don't lost you. everything. But they got a Gus Nyquist. Oh. I like that Gus Nyquist deal. I think that's a great deal for the team. They got a great cap hit at a great term and lost everybody else. Like they lost Duchesne, they lost Panarin, and they lost their starting goalie. Like they I you know, I appreciate Kekalinen's bold moves in February. That those were some brass balls. But now it's it looks pretty bad. Uh, big loser, Minnesota. What is that Matt Zuccarello deal? That is going to be... They were going to be Their my GM's big loser. Co- quote after the, he signed Zuccarello is the biggest loser of the day. Someone take Paul Fenton's phone away and don't put him in front of a camera. Okay, because my big loser for Minnesota isn't the fact... Isn't even the Matt Zuccarello contract. No. Which isn't good. It's Franz Nielsen 2.0. Zuccarello is just a little better than Nielsen was. Okay, he's 32 years old. You just signed. They signed him to what? Six years? Five years? Uh, Five years, I believe. Five by six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You really think a dude as tiny and not very dynamic like Matt Zuccarello is going to hold up into his mid and late 30s? That's insane. But the reason that this is truly insane to me, what the hell is Minnesota doing? Who do they think they are? This is a team that traded Michael Granlund for Kevin Fiala. A downgrade, but to get younger and have longer contract control. They traded Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato. Again, probably a loss in the trade, but to get younger and have longer control. So they look like at the deadline, they were finally realizing that they were that mediocre team that was doomed to finish seventh every year. And they're like, no, we have to look at the long view. Great. You're finally doing it. That's awesome. Why in the hell do you go and give out? This contract to Matt Zuccarello shortly. You already have Ryan and Suter and Zach Parisi for about a thousand more years. You have are bogged down by awful contract after awful contract for players all north of the age of 30. Jared Spurgeon's only one year away from unrestricted free agency. You want to risk losing him because of a cap issue? This Minnesota is lost. They were what Detroit was a few years ago, but on steroids. We could have been them. We could have been them. For anybody who dumps on Ken Holland, we very legitimately could have been what Minnesota is right now. Uh, You know what? I don't think that was Ken Holland so much as just them choosing to sign elsewhere. I think that offer was on the table for Detroit. I very clearly remember. I don't know if it was exactly that, but it was close because everyone was talking the range of that contract. Because that was that weird twilight zone where those contracts came out and then a couple years later the NHL went, ah, shit, we can't let them do this. This is destroying the league. But Minnesota's doing it again. Yeah, no, Minnesota, I'm happy. And I'm happy you said that about Matt Zuccarello. I like Matt Zuccarello, the player. Yeah. I think Matt Zuccarello could be had on a very, a deal that's rewar- rewarding for him, but friendly for the team in terms of term and have him still be an effective player on a competitive team. Minnesota is not a competitive team. They're making moves counter to what their production and uh, personnel are dictating. And they signed him for too much for too long, plain and simple. That make that. If you have one contract amidst everything that happened today that makes your team the biggest loser, it's a bad contract. It's especially special if it's you're not even signing a bad player. 
the Nielsen but better at the time comparison is pretty apt in my mind. It's the it's likely to be the same situation Detroit's in, and even if Zuccarello doesn't fall off as much as we've seen Nielsen fall off, uh, especially last season, who else are the who else is he going to play with that, to make that team competitive? No one. Big winner. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the other loser we didn't talk about was the um, Robin Leonard situation. So they didn't offer him any term, and then he left. But then they gave four years to Varlamov, which was bizarre. The Islanders had uh, the type of summer that's going to look fine this year and maybe even the year after that. But that Nelson contract, that Anders Lee contract, that Varlamov contract, boy, they might look a lot like Minnesota in three years. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Lule Morello has a way of making some pretty confusing deals. I wasn't a big fan. If everything is to be believed of how the the Robin Leonard situation was handled – and just yeah, inherently you don't want to give term to Leonard, but who's then twenty seven years to a guy who wasn't in your organization and who's not 31. hasn't been particularly good in a while. Yeah. yeah, not bad. I'm not saying Varlamov's a bad goalie, but um, he hasn't had a season that looked anything like Robin Leonard's in a while. And you look at it; these are both goalies who have shown to have like very high levels of talent. Not exactly consistent, but in the right situation, maybe you can bring that out. If you're a serious team, you keep your one-two combo you had in Grice and Leonard. Leonard had a very, very, very friendly contract the the previous year. And then just give him some term. He wasn't if, asking for anything crazy. If Leonard took one by one year at $5 million, would he not have taken three years at 12 or 13 Yeah, apparently the Islanders did offer him um, five by two. But he turned it down and then took five by one in Chicago. So I don't know how much that rumor was to be believed. Even oh, five million times two years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So ten million total. So I I don't know. Maybe he overestimated his own market. It's weird. Big winner on the day or on over the past week has in my mind has been Colorado. Yes. The Donskoy contract severely underrated. He was one of the low key ones we were hoping Detroit might actually take a run at. Four years at three point nine million a year for Eunice Donskoy. It's fantastic. Awesome. Um, we, didn't even talk about that, we didn't even talk about that trade. Which is what I'm getting to right now. Mm-hmm. I love this trade from Colorado standpoint. It works very well for Toronto as well. But for anybody who doesn't hasn't seen the trade, essentially it was Nazem Kadri, Alex Kerfoot for... no it was, Alexander. Sorry, it was, he doesn't like Alex. Alexander Kerfoot, Kerfoot and Tyson Berry for Nazem Kadri and Callie Rosen. And I think they swapped a couple mid-round picks. Um Toronto got the top four defensemen they needed, albeit maybe for only one year because that's all that Barry's got left on his contract, but he fills a direct position of need for the Leafs, and they're in a window to go for it now. Makes sense. Colorado, a team that is short on offensive depth, just got one of the best contracts in the league for the next three years for their second-line center. Nazem Kadri is a multiple-time 30-goal scorer who's got three years left at Four and a half million dollars. That's it. And they got Callie Rosen, a guy who has been who dominated the AHL last year and should be a serviceable bottom pairing on Colorado. So even though they downgraded from Tyson Berry, still didn't lose that roster spot. On this is defense. the one trade that worked out well for both teams. I Very thought. well for both teams. Yeah. I my initial thought was this is amazing for Toronto. And I maintain that. I think uh it it does a lot for them, especially considering their context and circumstance right now. And I'm going to get to that, but I really want to drive home. Nazem Kadri is criminally underrated. He's been playing at the three C role because he's had 
you know, Austin Matthews and John Tavares, two of the best players in the sport of hockey ahead of him. If you're Toronto and you have no defense and you have Nazem Kadri playing as your 3C, it's just about balancing your team, right? Yeah, that you, is absurd. You And they got Alexander Kerfoot, who's not exactly a bad downgrade. But Colorado gets Nazem Kadri, who's not been playing tough minutes for the last you know couple of years. It's not to say he's, he's been he, playing bad hockey. He's but been he's, Toronto shutdown guy. He's been playing as a third-line center, so he's going to thrive in that 2C role. He's going to be able to jump into that. He's It's... That cap hit is absolutely phenomenal. They both they they set themselves up well for their next generation of this of stars, which they have they're swimming in, and they set themselves up to be competitive now. I genuinely believe themselves to believe them to be cup contenders out of the West. And to circle back to why this trade could happen, which is what we spent a lot of the time talking about in the draft, this is why you just take the best player available because Colorado not overthinking it and just taking Bowen Byram allowed this to happen. Kale McCarr, Samuel Gerrard, Bowen Byram, all of them 21 years older, younger, all of them could be top pairing defensemen. If the only thing I can see where there's a hole in the armor, it's with Philip Gru- what Philip Grubauer do they get? If they get him to be serviceable they are definitely he's a, a top-notch team out of the west he's strung together back-to-back really good seasons now yep. so odds are he's still going to be a strong goalie Man, if you guys yeah if you guys want to know why this is so great for colorado they have the talent now they have the talent for the future and they made responsible decisions with their cap space so Sakic has set himself up well to be dynamic now dynamic later and still has the personnel to be competitive this is what we wanted Detroit to be before. This is Detroit stripping away all the anchor signings and adding some superstars. I know that's a lot of changes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Detroit if they were better. The wand. Having a first overall pick uh, and multiple top five picks really helps because Detroit hasn't had one of those yet. Nathan McKinnon at $6.3 million is gross. Yes. This is why you extend these guys young. Uh, what? How this works for Toronto, though. You don't need Nazem Kadri as your third line center. It's definitely a huge, huge luxury. But if you can turn that into Tyson Berry and take your shot again, because Toronto, just like Colorado, are cup contenders out of the East, though, you do it. And you get Alexander Kerfoot back. Yeah, absolutely. You do it. They The imbalance was in that they handed out a third round pick in exchange for a six. But they also got Colorado to retain half of Barry's salary, which Colorado was able to do at no real big cost themselves because they had the space which allowed Toronto some room. And it's only one year. And it's only one year. And so it allowed Toronto room because they have to figure out this whole Marner situation. They have a couple other guys to, to figure out. This is the best win-win trade I've seen in a long time. It helps both teams quite a bit. It's huge for Toronto now. It's big for Colorado now, huge for them later. It just makes – they're both winners in my mind, but considering the fact that Colorado also got Don Scoy and they added Kadri, they basically built out – from a team that went to, from having only one line, they just built out a very, very good second line as well. Colorado are the big winners of the free agency period in my mind. Yeah, Toronto, I also like what they did too. Uh, Low-key, I think Jason Spezzo is one of the better signings of the day too. They're, they just replaced their third-line center. They had the replacement for Kadri at a league minimum contract. Not that Spets is dominant anymore, but he's competent and he'll do the job and that's all he needs to do behind Tavares and Matthews. The... What they signed Spezza for is what Marlowe should have been. Yeah. But they paid him almost they, 10 times less. They just had to move the decimal over on the seven. That's it. 
You like you. Maybe have... it was just a typo from the start. There's some <laughs> stupid summer intern just wrote the comma in the wrong spot, and it screwed everybody up. If you have, uh, what's his? Sorry, Austin Matthews and John Taveras, and then you have Alexander Kerfoot and Jason Spezza. Holy. Jason Spezza took a league minimum deal and he turned down all signing and performance bonuses because he just wanted to play for his hometown team and be on a winning team. That's it. He's cashed out before. He just finished a near $50 million contract, so he's not exactly want for money. Why would he play in Toronto if he wants to win? <laughs> but honestly, though... Just deadpan delivery. I love honestly, it. yeah, he did. Alexander Kerfoot coming back in that deal and then you add Spezza. Like, the Spezza deal is legitimately what they wanted Marlowe to be. The theme of Toronto's deals, though, of what Kyle Dubas has been doing, was trading away toys that Babcock likes to play with. <laughs> Man, is is Jason Spezza going to be look good playing 25 minutes a game? Oh, did they, yeah. Did they even offer Ron Hainsey a contract? I don't think so. No, almost definitely not. <laughs> he's done it with Roman Polak. He's done every toy Babcock's had gone. Um, who's, and he, who's the guy who got traded on Philly but turned his phone off because he was at the cottage Ryan Hartman oh, does yeah. he did he have we found a conclusion to that story yet oh, yeah, yeah he knows he okay because <laughs> he where did he end up Minnesota yeah yeah he's back and signed with another team um other so we've done our big winners and losers also loser Edmonton they did nothing they got Mike Smith man he put up an 898 behind one of the best defenses in the league he's an elite goalie he's like 38 or something yeah, Edmonton for a team that uh, wants to be good now uh, certainly didn't do anything to be good now. Well, they didn't have much cap, <laughs> did they? Uh, they? They don't have much space, uh, I don't think. I think they had some space. Uh, other big... And Aaron, we've got $2 million and you can live in Edmonton. Other notable signings. What Wayne... else could more? What else could, what you, could want? you want? Wayne Simmons to New Jersey for a year at five million. That's fine, I suppose. I mean, New Jersey's done so much right they can afford to miss on one contract. It's a one-year contract. Like, yeah. is there even such a thing as a bad one-year contract? Is any anymore? buddies with Taylor Hall as well? Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, Corey Perry for a year to Dallas. I really like. Dallas got old. Yeah, they got real. Oh, they old. got Pavelski too. Yep, they yeah. did. Uh, Pavelski three years at seven million per Matt, year. I seen a lot of people dumping on Dallas for that. I don't. I don't hate it. Uh, I mean, they were one goal away in double overtime from knocking out the team that won the Stanley Cup this year. They're in their window. Yeah. Do you want Dallas to quit when they just watched St. Louis win the cup? No. God, no. No. They just added two pieces that likely will help them this year. Not in the long run, but uh, Dallas is in their window. So yeah, this is what you do when you're in your window. I like the teams this year. The theme continues to be teams are swinging for the fence now. Yeah. I like it a lot. And I'm here for it. Uh, Cam Cam Talbot and Mike Smith switched spots. Cam Talbot (laughs) went to Calgary, which is funny. Mike Smith went to Edmonton. Yeah. Calgary, what are you doing? But anyways. Ron Hainsey to... Oh, Ottawa. Ottawa, Ottawa, Ottawa. I don't... Oh, we didn't even talk about Cody Ceci. Yeah. Oh, that trade, yeah. So the Senators acquired from Toronto, Connor Brown, Nikita Zaitsev in his million-year contract, and then uh, just an AHL piece. And then Toronto got Cody Ceci, Ben Harper, Aaron Luchek, who's the equivalent AHL piece and a third-round pick. Okay, let, let's get this out of the way. Cody Cece might actually be a downgrade on Nikita Zaitsev, which is quite an accomplishment. Thank you for saying that, because I've been trying to explain this to people uh, Cody Cece is just not a good piece for that defense but that's the price you pay for offloading the Zaitsev contract yeah and that's it's still an upgrade for Toronto because there's one year left on that contract yeah I've got a buddy who's a writer for the Belleville Senators and they he particularly 
despises Cody Cece. So he's very happy this trade happened. Well, Cody Cece doesn't have a contract right now, but he needs. To, he's either going to go he's to arbitration. RFA, yeah. 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 Um, isn't there a stipulation where in arbitration where if he comes up above a certain amount, they can walk away from the deal and make him a UFA? Yes. But he won't because he's Cody Cece. And he's going to accept whatever he gets. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, if Toronto can find a way out of Cody CC, basically everything Toronto's been doing has been offloading or paying the price to either offload bad contracts or somehow acquire someone who can play defense. They got rid of Zaitsev and they got rid of Marlowe. That's exactly what they needed to do. And yet they still have just enough cap space to sign Marner if he agrees to like <laughs> 9 mil, I think is what the number came out to is the estimate of what they have for him. And now Ottawa are Toronto... From last year without any of the stars. No, Ottawa's Toronto from like 2011 at this point. <laughs> they have Shabbat. They have Kachuk. Brandstrom. And not much else. Yeah. It's a tough time to be a Suns fan. Damn it. Why does every other bad team have to be so much worse than us? So much worse. It's, it's much worse. Except Ottawa is their first over, first round pick. This hey, Buffalo's going all in this year, so they should comfortably finish ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, they acquired Jimmy VC for a third. Yeah, so they now got Jimmy VC for two thirds. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. I like that one, Brad. You're P- welcome. Peter Mrazek uh, is staying in Carolina on a two year deal, which nice is the right, right move for him. Yeah, I like that for him. I that Honestly, at 3.125, if he continues to be hot there and play into their success, that'll be a great deal. Did he deal post for anything dumb on his Instagram about no, that? Not no. yet. I don't think I. He was extremely pumped about it, and apparently it was going to get done the whole time. I'm sure they just needed the Aho thing to be figured out. Yeah. Can you imagine Don Waddell how much he laughed when he saw the the value on that offer sheet? Yeah. He's like, "This is oh, the easiest thing." Forgot about the biggest signing of the day. Mm. Tampa Bay signs two year contract with Luke Witkowski. Oh boy. There it goes. Hey, there their goes. fan base is happy to have him back. Everyone's there happy to have Luke Witkowski. my hero. <laughs> Everyone loves Witkowski. Maybe a little too much. Do you, re- you think he'll play first game back at the LCA and he'll get a standing ovation? He'll start oh, yeah. a brawl. He'll he'll get a standing ova- ovation and then break someone's nose on the Red Wings. Realize yeah. the skate guards are still on. Anthony Mantha will fight him for old time's sake. Oh, no. Please, God. Red Wings Twitter will now pivot from arguing about whether Luke Witkowski should be resigned to whether Phil Pilo was a good signing slash who of him and Nielsen should be playing on the second line. And I will despair up until this team is good again. I'm going to miss Luke Witkowski, but I'm not going to miss Luke Witkowski playing hockey for the Red Wings. <laughs> it's, it was it was fine. Like We can all still follow him on Instagram, guys. It'll be fine. It's okay. Uh, free agency. Believe it or not, we're only two days in. This is Tuesday night, so a lot can still happen. The RFA still have to be signed, so there's gonna be more free agent news coming. But that's the gist of it. Uh, we'll we'll get into some other deals, uh, maybe as we get into the weeds. Oh, in case you guys didn't know, we are back down to one episode per week, and this is a Tuesday because we were all gone for the weekend. So I think we're going this Sunday again. Yeah, right? in, ge- yeah. in general, it'll be Sundays. Uh, we're going to head over to Patreon, where all of our patrons get their comments read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Uh, Mitch Rake says, late to the party, but I have one Hall of Fame topic to ponder on. If you adjust points scored for the respective eras, Guy Carboneau getting into the Hall of Fame really opens up Chris Draper's candidacy. Hashtag Brad Brigade. Did we even talk about that? Last episode, right? Uh, I was in here. Did we? Guy Carboneau? It all just kind of blends together. I don't think we talked about it, but yeah, that's ungood. <laughs> I'm not going to rip on the guy... He definitely has his place in hockey history, but for some other people who are left out of the hall, 
Alex McGillney, man. Alex what McGillney. the hell? I mean, it opens up the door for Henrik Zetterberg. Oh, if Zetterberg, there's no argument. Guy Carpenter's in. There is no argument against Henrik Zetterberg now. I said, yeah, I could see the case why he might not get him, but I still lean to putting him in. There is no case against him now. None. Zetterberg's a first ballot. Uh, Eric Jeske says, Eisman was more active in free agency than I expected, but everyone added was on short-term deals and middling salaries. That is a great point that everyone should keep looking at. Uh, Nothing that feels like an attempt to turn the corner. If we speculate that Steve's plan is to develop but struggle for two more years and stack a couple more quality drafts into the system, I'm all for it. I can take it. My only concern is that we risk alienating Larkin. He clearly hates losing this much, and he could get jaded if he thinks the team is willing to burn his time and effort. I think a lot of Wings fans are still attached to our past and think it couldn't happen to us, that we wouldn't see our franchise guy check out or ask to be traded or bide his time to UFA. I really don't think it could happen either, but are we wading out into some right-pass hubris with Dylan? Um, I think two things are protecting us here. One, or the Red Wings, one, he's about to be named captain. And two, he's on a really long deal still. He's got four. We got four years to be good, which I think is reasonable. By four years, if there isn't light at the end of the tunnel or they're not at least somewhat through this corner that they should be turning, then he'll have a legitimate feelings. But I don't foresee Eisenman um, not being there by that point. So understand the concern for sure. Um, but I definitely think there is a lot to go before I would start to be worried. Uh, Joe Falzone says this could be out of date by the time you record. Uh, but who is the hopefully right shooting right winger Stevie should be looking for at the middle six? And yes, you have to pick a middle six player, not in the org. Or Temi Panarin. <laughs> middle six. <laughs> I don't know if it's Man, available. I don't think there's any out there at this point. That's worth it. I'm I'm hoping they're done. I think most of what I Thomas Vanek. Brad, stop. Stop. If there's one thing I can value Steve Eisenman for is that he's at least changing the discussion. We have been saying the same thing for the past three years. I actually have not made an original tweet. I've just been copying and pasting old tweet and just changing the date when relevant. Please, for the love of God, no. So here's the thing. I absolutely don't want Thomas Vanek back. But as you're pulling this list up, if you're looking for a right shooting middle 640, he might be the only option left. Please. No. Please. Just not even because I hate the guy. I just, I can't anymore. I, I would honestly rather take Jason Palmanville. Take Justin me. Williams, Palmanville, Brower, Andrew Ghetto, Stafford, Reader, Ty Ratty, Kempe, Devontae Smith-Pelly. Ben Lovejoy. Put him on forward. <laughs> that's all you got. Uh, Toby oh, Reader out of all those guys. Rowan that's says my pick. Jesse Pugliarview. So, I mean, that's actually. Hey, there you go. Uh, Jeff Chen says, hi, guys. I should Franz Nielsen gave 51 to Philpula. After all, he has won a cup in that number and sweater. Mm. I mean, I don't care. Franz is going to be here longer, so Franz has to do what Franz wants. Uh, Alex Zuko says, evening, gents. On the free agent signings, the first thing that came to mind. Oh, and we didn't even talk about this, so thank you, Alex. Uh, is that Eisenman knows something we don't, i.e. Croner is retiring. Several of the young forwards won't be allowed to make the opening night roster, etc. Or he has a trade in mind to unclog the log jams on the roster, especially among defensemen. Curious to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks, as always, Alex. There's no log jam, as Max explained, unless Cronwall comes back. Um, cause there's Max's theory of scrap healthy, scratching one forward, two defensemen per night looks like the go-to right now. Um, which is fine. Again, I really just want Chalosky and Hironik to be getting NHL reps this year. I don't care what's happening around them. Um, yeah. Um, 
I think he does. I think that Nemeth's signing and the fact that he's open to signing another defenseman probably is the writing on the wall for Cronwall. But hey, stranger things have happened. We likely would have heard an announcement by now if anything was actually set in stone. Yeah, I wouldn't call it like definite, but I definitely think it points to Eisenman believing that Cronwell likely won't come back, um, which is something that we didn't bring up before. Um, yeah, the logjam issue is is not as overstated or is not as um, big as has been stated, but Eisenman did put one point in there that actually I was happy he said out loud because Eisenman doesn't always give up a lot, which is that if it turns out that all of these young guys want to crack the roster and they make a great case to do so and we have to bump someone out, that's a great problem and we'll deal with it as it comes. But for now, these older guys are insurance for them. So Eisenman's not afraid to deal with those issues as they come and he's not about to push a young guy out of the roster just because he projects them to not make it. We, we've heard this before, but it didn't come from Eiserman, so it was less reassuring. No, I don't think, but I don't think we were hearing, hearing the same thing. A, a lot of Holland said, Gotta come and take a job. Exactly. He would sign a veteran that wasn't even there before and said, well, these young guys now have to beat him. And if they don't beat him out, then we're going to, the, the tie goes to the vet. And that the window for what a tie was seemed to get bigger and bigger every year. I mean, year. what Stevie said is basically the same thing, just phrased a little better. I think Stevie said, if these guys are going to make the team, then we'll deal with these guys. We'll find a way to make them. Now, move. here's the question. Who actually makes those decisions on who's going in the lineup? Is it Stevie yes. or is it Blashup? 100% this is Eisman's team. 100 okay. No one who makes these signings and drafts with that much direction. I hope you're right. I genuinely believe that. There's not a world. It's not like there's no world where I'm wrong. But from now, for now, that trust is there. Uh, Don Mitchell says this could be dated by the time you record, but with Steve saying he might be interested in a right winger, what do you think of Nichushkin? Uh, God, no, please no. I'm not a big fan. Um, as great as it, as great a day as today was, uh, hearing about Jack Adams and his injury is devastating. Here's hoping for a speedy recovery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, poor Master Simone and Jack Adams. They had such good camps too. Evan Beckner says, if you would have told me Henrik Lundqvist still had a shot to win a cup with the Rangers, I would have called you crazy even a week ago. What black magic deal did their front office make? Now that's a rebuild on the fly. Yeah, well, winning the draft, uh, one of the draft lottery spots helps and uh, exploiting Winnipeg and their cap problems helps. And then having your arena located in the middle of Manhattan helps. All those things. It's still so upsetting to see. They still have to be a good hockey team, but I mean, also... Yeah, depth is not their strength still. But that's okay. Kawhi's about to sign with LA. Depth will not be their strength. Not the Clippers, apparently. No. Uh, Advanced Water says, it's just... I just bought a Nyquist Sharks jersey like three months ago, and his Red Wings jersey like a year before that. So I guess my question is, what is your favorite iteration of the Blues jersey? The Columbus Blue Jackets? They're regular Blues. I like the Cannon. No, I love I love cream cream and blue. No, I don't even remember. I don't even know which one that is. It's with the circle logo and the cannon uh, in the middle. Columbus, yeah, the Blue Jackets. They started that whole baby blue <clears throat> apocalypse like that, that every team had. They were. It wasn't baby blue. It's like navy blue, wasn't it? No, it was like a lighter blue. Blue Jackets. I don't. I'm on the fence. I like their basic red, white, and blues. Oh, yeah. These are navy blue. Oh, I can see the striping in the logo is baby blue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Kind of reminds me of Winnipeg's jerseys a little bit. A little bit. Uh, Graham says, how different are yesterday's deals to signing Daly and giving Vanek a one-year deal? I hope that young players earn their spot on the roster, but with the prospect of more additions, there's a crowded roster. At least we've not heard Ty goes to the veterans so far this offseason. 
Uh, it's different because we literally had no one else competent to play center with Nielsen, and he can't have been expected to bear the load of the second-line center spot for the whole season. Um, that pushes Athanasiu to the wing, which is actually a benefit for the young guys, and Nemeth can play defense or has shown that he can play strong defense, so that's a notable improvement. I may have criticized the Vanek deal at the time, but in fairness to the other side of this argument, you could have said the same thing about him. Um I would have had 230 goal scores without his tutelage. Like I said, I think I would have been perfectly <laughs> I would have been perfectly satisfied as a Red Wings fan without Philpula on this team, but it's not the end of the world and the term and the cap it make it inconsequential even if you do decide you don't like it. So, it is what it is. Uh Rowan says good day dudes or good day dud duds. Uh, I trust that development camp now has you fully on board with the hashtag German Lidstrom movement I have started. If not, please watch again, but do, do, but do it good this time. Uh, I can succinctly sum up the Red Wings free agency period at the time of posting. Nothing egregious. Just save you two. You three. Two? It's three. About 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, that Mitch Marner guy can't be much uh, chop. Toronto couldn't be bothered to sign him on the first day. And no other team have even given him an offer sheet. What a loser. Anyways, none of this really matters uh, as the Red Wings won free agency back in April. As they, uh, as only they have Steve Eisman as their GM. Whilst the rest of the league makes futile attempts to keep giving out silly contracts to non-Steve Eisman's idiots. Uh, Jersey time. The Jersey Genie is back. Ex-Red Wing player that was traded or walked in free agency to another team. Whose jersey are you getting? Anyway, stay fresh, cheese bags. Three days ago, I'd have, my legitimate answer would have been Philpola. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. He was one of my favorites back in the day. Uh, Red Wings that left the team. Yuri Hudlar. Brandon Shanahan. Just a classic Brandon Shanahan jersey. It's a cop-out answer. Fedorov. Yeah, Fedorov would be my second choice. Steve Ott. You have one. I know. <laughs> Stan Olson says, hey guys, hope all is well. After thinking about our draft class, it seems that Stevie is trying to build a team to beat the 95 Devils. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to live there. Uh, Chris Clark says, hey boys, with free agency here in the wild making some bad decisions, I wanted to ask a hindsight question. Uh, looking at the Parisi and Suter contracts today, it seems like their wings may have dodged a bullet by not signing them a few years back. That being said, I can't help but wonder if they had signed with Detroit, whether or not the wings would have won one more cup particularly when they took Chicago to Game 7 and 13. Sorry to bring that up. Uh, I'm curious if going back, knowing what we know now, you guys would be in favor of them signing that year in Detroit. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to Evan's shockingly insightful take. All right, Evan, you handle this one. Yes. I remember that at the time I wanted both of those players, so um, to say now that or have revisionist history, I, I would, it would be incorrect. Uh, at the time, I definitely wanted both of them. Oh, I want at least one of them. Now I'm happy that they didn't turn out, but it's not like the Red Wings would have been in a much worse spot, or they probably would have still been in a better spot than they are now. 13-year deals are bad. Hindsight, yeah, the Detroit dodged. Not that they're still good players at reasonable cap hits. It's the fact that they're going to be on these cap hits, like, what, into their 40s? Yeah, it's not. It's bad. Again, I'm The ha- term is terrible. They were almost there. It legitimately took Suter convincing... Or was it Parisi's convincing Suter or Suter convincing Parisi to go to Minnesota with it? Doesn't matter. And and keep in mind, they have six years left on these contracts. That's nuts. Uh, Joseph Delia says, hey, boys, I heard Stevie's looking to add a winger and maybe a defenseman. I know you guys don't want to add more. With the remaining UFAs on July 2nd, who wouldn't you guys mind if they add? Also, I added that Frank meme under the flip signing, and I'm pretty proud of myself. Thanks, guys. Uh, Toby Reader, because he'll cost nothing. 
Well, he'll cost you the playoffs if you believe. Here's the other. Here's the left wingers, the notable ones: Marcus Johansson, Michael Furland, Thomas Vanek, <laughs> Patrick Marlowe, Pat Maroon, Jamie McGinn, Magnus Piarvi, Pontus Aberg, Oscar Lindbergh, Chris Kunitz, Gabriel Bork. That's all. I think Aberg might be worth a flyer, but that's about it. He he showed flashes, but never strings it together for any lengthy period of time. Patty Maroon for the gut, right? (laughs) That's it. Patty Maroon's about to get a... um, The Detroit dad bods. (laughs) (laughs) He's about to get a contract like some of, like, pretty much all of Vancouver's fourth line. He was just a key guy in a cup-winning role, but was, like, a third or fourth line guy. He's definitely going to get overpaid somewhere. The Brian Bickle contract. Yep. Uh, Peter Ploshahansky says, Hey boys, I just read Max's article about the Wings' projected lines. Given that Hiroshi and Zadina make the team, I think Athanasiu, Hiroshi, and Zadina could be a real threatening second line. With Hiroshi's sec- hockey sense and playmaking quarterbacking, Zadina and Athanasiu every night, could this be the real deal? Thoughts? They'll never have the puck, like Max alluded to earlier. So I like Hiroshi. I love that he's getting attention. I love that he'll likely make this team at this point. I don't think anything's certain, but the fact that he had a strong audition at the end of the year and a strong development camp, I think that's great for cementing his spot because he's exactly the kind of player that I wish Detroit had more of in their bottom six. Smart, could show offensive ability, has hockey talent that's still effective for a lineup. Um, I don't know about consistently playing him in the top six more like... I would like to see Detroit get to a point where they don't have to put him there. Yeah, if he's a nailed-on top six player or forward on this team, we are in serious trouble. Which? He is a fantastic fourth liner, a meh third liner. Man, apparently I like Hiroshi a lot more than you guys because I think he could be a fringe second-line winger and a good third-line winger. I would need to see more from him over the course of the season. No, we're projecting here because this is what you do with prospects. But If we're projecting, I have him as a decent third-liner. Which isn't too far off from fringe second liner, but yeah, yeah. In my mind, I have first line, second line, big gap, third line. First I line. really like Hiroshi's hockey IQ, though he can play with with top end players. Like he can he can be like not the same type of player, but he can be the Tyler Bertuzzi on a line like that, where he can play with two really good players and and facilitate things that they can't do. In terms of that specific line, yeah, I don't think they have quite enough for you know, puck possession and, and entries and exits and everything else. And they don't have exactly the support on defense to kind of mitigate the effects of their, whatever they're lacking. Um, the general question of what Brad just alluded to, which is can Hiroshi slot in with top end guys? Yeah. I think the fact that he has a high hockey IQ and plays a smart game means he's automatically qualified to do that. If he continues to show that skill in some production, absolutely. Um, I, I think his ideal spots on the third line. Casby says, first off, the draft recap episode was fan fantastic Rest in peace, that pun. Uh, full of amazing in-depth analysis uh, that went so much deeper than all of the other one-paragraph summaries I've read elsewhere. Kudos to all of you. Uh, thank you. Um, that episode's nearly at 6,000 listens, guys. Jesus. Nearly at 6,000. Our average over this past season was just over 3,000, and you guys doubled that. We're blown away. Uh, my question surrounds drafting defensemen as future trade assets. Seems that year after year, middle pairing D men get moved for seemingly more than their expected value due to lack of 
quality defensemen in the league. We have seen this firsthand with Brendan Smith and, to a lesser extent, Nick Jensen. Also, it certainly seems like they have more value than wingers on a one-on-one basis. Do you think future trade considerations played any part in this year's draft strategy and free agent signings? Kasky, Nemeth. Uh, basically, loading up defensive prospects, which you can flip later, either for picks or include as part of a package for a better player. If the answer is no, what do you think of the strategy in general? Um, defensemen are tough to project. Throw as many darts as you can. I, I legitimately think that was kind of more what this hope, was. I would hope some of them pan out and we can build a, an incredible top four. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a huge position of weakness for Detroit right now, and it does not look like they're going to be getting a number one stud anytime soon. So it's just, hey, let's get six number two and three defensemen and throw them all out at the same time. Yeah. In terms of draft draft strategy, Eisenman said, we have no good defense. We need to hit on another top pairing defenseman and another second pairing defenseman. Um, but you're also not wrong in your assessment of defensive uh, value. Like, I think that's a, just a nice kicker. I don't think they exactly had that mind of the, uh, the draft. I'm always in favor of BPA, but as someone who's watched the Red Wings for the past well, I mean, I've watched them my entire life, but especially over the past decade, yeah, I'm not mad about them taking a lot of darts and throwing them at a dartboard full of defensemen. Plain and simple. They need it. This is their chance to get it. Uh, we have time for some Reddit questions. Uh, Gordy, how you doing, says, is anyone else sitting in the back laughing at the armchair GMs on social media and laughing while they're imploding from today's signings? I've seen a lot of bring Holland back comments. I want to hear Evan's reaction to the signings if he's not golfing, of course. I already did talk about it. What have we done for the past hour and 10 minutes? <laughs> You've angered Evan. He's gone for the next six weeks now. <laughs> um, yeah, people who had a strong negative reaction to the signings. Again, I, I can understand an initial aversion, but once you take some time to consider it, it's fine. The Red Wings are bad, and these players are all right. It's it, Who cares? It like, seems like the initial reaction for everyone, if we don't hit a home run on getting a top, top, signing <clears throat> excuse me is it's a bad signing if, if we're we getting a middling player it's a bad signing it's always a bad signing if if we don't get philpola and hiroshi svechnikov rasmussen and valeno are all not ready oh my god that's we we're talking we're talking second line luke lindenning at that point so yeah you get some insurance it's fine that's... and you hope one or two of the young guys is ready uh Malvda says what free agent move slash trade has been the most shocking to you so far Effing uh, Detroit- Zuccarello, what are you doing, Minnesota? The Donskoy signing, I thought, came in considerably cheaper um, than I anticipated, and the Toronto-Colorado trade was obviously the news of the day, in my mind. That was the only one that made me go, whoa. Uh, one last one. Unknown Nick says, should the Red Wings have made an offer to Robin Lehner? No, they didn't need to be paying $5 million to another goalie. No, they're, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, okay, that's it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Max, for joining us again. Uh, like I said, we are going to be here weekly, but that does not mean you will not be hearing from us. Um, we're going to be drawing our next batch of giveaways from our uh, jersey entry, uh, which, or sorry, not jersey entry, t-shirt giveaway, the Winged Wheel Podcast Apparel. Uh, six of those are being handed out, and that'll be decided in the coming days, if not tomorrow. Um, lots to come. 
Sunday should be our next episode, weekly up until the content kicks up. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for bearing with us as we shake off the rust. I'd like to thank our name-level patrons, uh, our top-level sponsors as they load in front of me. Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Don Mitchell, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, and Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much. We will see you on the weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.